painting that beautiful picture for us this morning. Heavenly Father, as we once again have thought of that day our Lord Jesus was crucified, your precious Son, he said to you in the garden, though he asked you to take the cup of suffering and carrying of sin away from him, Yet he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Thank you, Father, that he did not call those angels to rescue him. But he willingly laid down his life for sinners like us, that we might be saved. Thank you, Lord, for so great a Savior. And now speak to our hearts through thy word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles with me, let's turn to 1 John, the book of 1 John, chapter 2. We're going to conclude our our, um, chapter here this morning. Uh, It's been a while, a few weeks since we've been in the uh, the, the 1 John, and uh, we want to pick it up where we left off. And this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 29, 24 through 29, and uh, as we try and recall what John has been saying in his letter to this point, uh, he was warning, as you recall, that he was warning the Christian about false teachers that were in the church, that were coming into the church and going out of the church and spreading uh, false teaching and doctrine and, and uh, leading people astray, those that really didn't know the Savior. Oh, they, they, they believed in their head, but not in their heart. And they easily were uh, led astray by false teaching. And so what John is trying to do, he's trying to ground the Christian in their faith and, uh, and, and to, to have them stand upon the foundation of God's word in the midst of all the, the false teaching that was coming in. And we talked about that, that this false, false teaching, uh, the main false teaching was known as Gnosticism. And um, we'll discuss that in, in a little bit again. But let's look together at verse 24 where we, we pick up. 1 John 2, beginning verse 24 and then 25. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. Now, John, as you recall, loves to speak about abiding. He uses that word abiding a lot in his writings. And here we're going to be seeing, once again, he's bringing this this word to the forefront and telling the church, telling you and me, how crucial it is that we abide. And we're we're to abide in two things, or uh, and one is a person, and the other is something written. 
And we're, we're going to look at that here. But what does he say, the first one here, in verse 24? Notice he says, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. So it's something they heard from the beginning that he wants them to abide in or have, have it abide in them. So what would he be talking about here? Well, here in the context, he is talking about the gospel, the gospel they heard that John brought to them, and they were saved through that gospel and through the preaching and teaching of God's word. So John is trying to encourage them, first of all, in the midst of all, all, all the evil, in the midst of all the false teaching that, that is coming into them and uh, unindating their lives, and Satan is, is attacking from every point. First thing he wants them to do is abide in the word of God and let the word of God abide in you. So basically we could say, what he's writing is, as for you, let the word of God abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. And if you heard from the beginning, and if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, the word of God, then it automatically leads to something. What is that? The, the rest of verse 24. You will also abide in the Son and in the Father. So we're going to get to that, that abiding in just a moment. But first, the importance of you and I abiding in the Word of God. Turn to Colossians chapter 2 with me. Let's go there together. Colossians 2 verse 6. Paul writes to the church Here in Colossians, Colossians 2, verse 6. Read with me here. Paul writes, As for you, therefore, as you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, what are we to do next? So walk in him. Notice what's first, receiving Jesus and then there's walking in Jesus. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, overflowing with gratitude. What Paul is saying to the church here is, you receive Christ, then your life ought to show it. Your life ought to show it. And the only way that can happen is to, by walking in obedience. When he says walk in Christ, that means basically to walk in the word. I walk in righteousness, walk in the word, because I have the word in my heart, in my mind. I meditate upon it. And it is, and, and it is my guide. And it is my instruction for life. And I have to be... Uh, I have to make sure that every day I am taking time to abide in the word. 
And we're all guilty of, of not doing that. We're all guilty. We fall short. Turn to Psalm chapter 1. Let's go to Psalm 1. And I want you to see here David's heart. Psalm 1. Let's read it together. Six verses. The psalmist writes, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. It's a blessed man who who does not do that. Well, how does he keep from doing that? Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates, how long? Day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. But notice what the psalmist does. The way he is blessed is that he abides in the word of God. He calls it his law. But his delight, those who don't walk in the, in the ways of, of, of the sinner and the scornful, his delight is the law of the Lord, and he meditates on that day and night. And I have to ask myself, Lord, do I do that? Do I love your word enough and understand how important it is to abide in your word, have your word abide in my heart that I might not sin against you? As David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Oh, he's trying to to, uh, uh, impress upon us through this psalm. And then John is trying to impress upon the believer that the only way you are going to stand the winds of false doctrine is if we are abiding in the word. So turn back with me, if you would, to 1 John. Let's go back to 1 John 2 again. And then notice what he says again at the end of verse 24. If you're abiding in the word, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. Here is the second thing we are To abide in. It is in the Son and in the Father. Abiding in Him. And look at verse 25. And this is the promise which He Himself made to us eternal life. Now why would John put that in there? All of a sudden, in the middle of it, he says, And this is the promise which He Himself made to us eternal life. The reason he put that in there is because the the Gnostics were trying to uh, uh, push their doctrine in the church that basically 
um, the foundation of, of, of that, that teaching is that material is evil, spirit is good. So therefore, anything that's, that's made materially, my body, everything else, it's all wicked, it's cursed, it's basically material is evil. But it's, it's all about the spirit. And so therefore, I work on the spirit, and by working on the spirit, maybe I can gain eternal life. You see, they, they weren't teaching that Jesus gives eternal life to everybody. But he, he, they taught that basically you, you, you've got to get deep into your mind, your consciousness, and, 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 and get into the spirit world and, and uh, remove yourself from material things. And, 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 and then you, you will grow closer to, to God and then you'll get to heaven you know, the, by growing spiritually in some way. And it completely threw Christians off. And so John comes back to the basics. He comes back to eternal security. Eternal life is given to all of us. We don't work for eternal life. You and I don't strive for eternal life. But what, how did we obtain it? We were given to, it was given to us as a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ, from God the Father. In John 10, Jesus said, I give them eternal life as he prayed to his heavenly father. He was praying to his father and he said, I give to them eternal life. And Jesus Christ is the giver of life. And of course, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have have everlasting life. And if you're here this morning without the assurance that you are going to heaven, that you've been given the free gift of eternal life, go back to the word. What does God say that he gave you when you believed in Christ? What did God say that you receive when you believed? And it breaks my heart when I meet and talk to believers that just are, uh, have been taught that you should doubt your salvation. You can't be absolutely sure that you're going to heaven. And that's kind of what was happening with some of the people here, the believers in the first century church. They, you know, they were being blown around uh, by, by the false teaching and they wondered, maybe I didn't God didn't give me eternal life. So if I were to die, you know, am I really going to heaven? It's so sad when, when that, that foundational truth is not held upon and stood upon. My friend, the, God's word says that you have eternal life. So when you leave here, may that be uh, uh, driven into your mind and heart. Hold on to that promise. But then we come to verses 26 and 27. John then goes on and says, these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. You see there, here is where he makes it clear that what he's writing, he's writing to them. These things 
because of those who are trying to deceive them. The King James Version translates it, them that seduce you. Or the, if you have the NIV translation, it says those who are trying to lead you astray. You see, that's exactly what people who don't believe this is absolute truth. God's word is absolute truth. It is without error, and, and therefore, we can believe this to be the word of God from front to back. But what they did is they, they went off and they, they brought mysticism in and all these other ideas, and they tried to deceive the church. And so he's speaking to them concerning this. And then verse 27, And as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you, here it is, he says it, you abide in who? Him. Him. That is our second point. We are to first abide in the word. Now John goes further and says, you have the word, but remember this. That you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. When he says, uses that phrase there. But as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. His anointing. So we begin to think, well, was that, is that something special that happens along the way once we're, we're saved? No, what is John really talking about? He's talking about what Paul referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we, we discussed this in, in the past, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, according to the scriptures, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it happens the moment you believe, the moment I trusted Christ and I said, yes, Lord, I, I'm giving my heart to you. I accept you as my savior. I believe that you are the son of God who died buried, rose again from the dead, and you're the only one that can save me from my sin. When I make that decision and I accept Christ, it is at that moment that the Holy Spirit of God comes into my heart, into this body. And that, that uh, event that takes place when the Holy Spirit comes into you permanently it's not like the Old Testament where the Spirit, Holy Spirit came upon someone and then left. But once you come to know Christ, you are a true believer, part of the, the body of Christ, the church. The Holy Spirit came to indwell you and is there permanently. And nothing can change that. That is what John is referring to as the anointing. That is what the Apostle Paul called the baptism of the Spirit. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into the body. Do you remember what Jesus said in, when he was about to leave his disciples in Acts chapter 1? He said to them, after he leaves, But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
So Jesus used that term. And so that is what John is referring to, the anointing here. It's a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So then, notice we go on here. And as for you, the anointing, verse 27, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, the Holy Spirit abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. Because who or who teaches you? The Holy Spirit. When Jesus, remember when Jesus said, when I send my helper, the comforter, he will guide you into what? All truth. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and it is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, so then what? You abide in him. And now there comes that second abiding. Abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. When Jesus talked about abiding, turn with me to the Gospel of John, real quick. Gospel of John 15. And Jesus here, as he's preparing to to die on the cross, he's meeting with his disciples in the upper room. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, Jesus said, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, and who, who are the branches? You and me, Christians. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In other words, he, it's useless. So he puts it on a shelf because there's no fruit. Doesn't mean the, that individual loses their salvation. This is talking about fellowship, okay, and abiding. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And here it is, verse 4. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it what? Abides in the vine. So neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. This is what John was trying to, uh, once again, reaffirm with the believers in his letter. He was trying to tell the church, You abide in God's word, but that should lead you to abiding in Christ. And how do I do that? How do I do that? By being staying connected to the vine. That means by by allowing the Holy Spirit to fill me, to control me, that he might have his way so that I surrender my will to his. And I know that the Holy Spirit lives in me. Now Jesus Christ through his spirit wants to live out through me and through you so that the world may see that you're different. That the world may see that, that, there's, that there's been a change, a transformation in you. And when I am abiding in Christ, that is when I produce fruit before the world and, and fruit that, that glorifies God. So... We need to abide in him, dear Christian. 
every moment of every day. And turn back with me to 1 John now, and, and we'll finish up here what John is trying to say. Look at verse 28 now and 29. And now, little children, abide in him. He's, again, emphasizing this. Little children, abide in him so that when he appears, there's a reason, one good reason, why we should be abiding in Christ, which means not walking in the flesh, but I'm walking by the Spirit, as Paul talked about. Walking in the Spirit, walking under the control of the Spirit, walking in righteousness, in obedience to God's Word. He says, if you are abiding in Christ, abiding in Him, something, uh, the importance of it is that when He appears, when Jesus appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. What is, what is He talking about there? Shame at His coming. John is basically saying, what if the Lord Jesus came back right now? Came back now. Would you be, are you abiding? Am I abiding in Christ? In other words, is my life separated unto God by the way I'm living? By, by obeying his word and not allowing sin to reign in my body? And allowing the world to just take all my affections away? And suddenly the Lord Jesus comes. If I'm not abiding in, in the word and in the Lord Jesus, what am I doing? I'm abiding in self. And I'm allowing the old nature to have its way. And if Jesus came and I'm not abiding, I would feel ashamed. Because I would stand before him, bow my head in shame because he, he came back and, and I wasn't living for him. What, what a sad thought. That if I'm, if I'm not living for Christ as a Christian in obedience, if he were to come, I would be ashamed at his coming. That's what John is trying to say. And then in verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. And there John is saying, You'll know someone by their fruits. If they're practicing righteousness, what does that tell you? If you see a Christian practicing righteousness, that tells you that they're abiding. They're abiding in Christ. They're abiding in his word. If righteousness is, is if, if that is what I'm practicing in my life, it doesn't mean perfection. We still have the old, the old nature. I still have this old nature that, that wants to run things. You know, and I battle with it. Those two natures go head to head. And I find myself failing so many times. And the old, old man in me, the old nature, rises up and gets control. And maybe I'll lose my temper or, or I'll say something that comes out of my mouth that I shouldn't. Uh, or do something and that, that displeases God and, and it's, not, uh, it's not righteous. It is, it, is that, it is then that the Lord is grieved with me and john is trying to encourage the saints abide in the word and abide in in jesus in christ jesus and then what will that do it will cause you and i to practice 
righteousness. I received a letter this week from someone in our church. And uh, he is here today. Uh, When I read this letter, I was so moved. Uh, I was so touched that uh, I called him. Excuse me. I called him on the phone and asked if I could read this letter at the end of my message this morning. He says, yes, you may. And I asked, I don't need to put your name to it. He said, oh, I'm not ashamed of what I wrote. So feel free if you want to, to use my name. So I have that his permission. His name is George Wilson. He's way at the back. The, 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 the line. Hey, George, just stand up. So he didn't want it to be noticed, but there he is. <laughs> Thank you, George. So that's the man right there that wrote this letter that I'm going to read to you. Okay. Good morning, Pastor Larry. Praise the Lord for this beautiful day. I hope this message finds you and your family well. The Lord has been on my heart in a very unusual way lately. Your message on Palm Sunday really hit me hard. This is my second Easter as a Christian. Unfortunately, I was in the hospital last year and didn't feel the impact I did this year. After Palm Sunday, I experienced so many signs during the week. God is in my life daily. So much that I wrote down my daily events on Tuesday, April 12th, so that I wouldn't forget them. These details. To summarize it, it was a good and bad day all in one. Has anyone ever had one of those? (laughs) Maybe you have one today. To summarize it, I was having a good day and a bad day all in one. I was met with bad events constantly. Bad things would happen. I would pray, and then something good happened. It was like God and Satan were battling through me. Remember I just talked about the old nature and the new nature? What made it strange was since I accepted Christ into my heart, I have a level of peace I just can't explain. But that day was an exception. Overall, it turned out to be a good day, but it was very challenging. Then on Easter Sunday, I woke up and said my prayers as routine, but it it was very different in the way I felt. I asked for forgiveness and immediately started to reflect on my life and the type of person I used to be. I cried and felt this horrible feeling that just wouldn't go away. I fought back tears during most of the Easter service when the choir was singing. To think of the Savior going through the torture and humiliation to save us from our sins. I can't help but feel anguish and embarrassment for the stupid things I said and thought about God before I was saved. I have made it my personal goal 
to talk to people openly about my feelings for God and living the life of a Christian. I have a couple of close friends who are shocked by my transformation. When I tell them what I have experienced, it makes them think. I never realize how strong and important your testimony is to other people. And last year, I had the joy of baptizing uh, George. This is what he writes. My testimony didn't end at my baptism. It happens every day. My crazy day, like April 12th, makes great, a great conversation starter. I also wanted to let you know I've been listening to the books of the Bible. I started with Genesis, and I'm currently at Joshua chapter 16. Some days I can't wait to hear the stories. It's just like a novel that I can't stop listening to. My wife, Lisa, says I should start in the New Testament, but I need to understand things from the beginning. Lisa and I thank you, thank the church family from the bottom of our hearts for your love and support. God bless you, George. Do you think that George is abiding in God's word? Do you think that he's been abiding in Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. How beautiful this is. I pray that this would speak to your heart. His testimony would speak to your heart this morning. And you may say to the Lord, Lord, am I truly abiding in you like I should? Do I feel this way? Do I, am I in your word and do I, do I feel excited about my walk with you? And am I, am I bold with, with my witness? Thank you, George. Let's pray together. As we bow before the Lord, in, as we close our time together, dear Christian, perhaps the Holy Spirit is talking to your heart right now. And he is convicting you. You feel the conviction today that I'm not where I should be. I haven't been abiding in Christ like I should be. I haven't been abiding in God's word like I should. Would you make it a point now to make that commitment to say, Lord... Here I am. Abide in me, and I want to abide in you. Help me to practice righteousness as I spend time in your word, hide it in my heart, and abide in, in it. Would you make that decision this morning, Christian? See what will happen. See how God will bless you and honor you for it. And use your life to reach others just like he did George. If you're here without Christ, never accepted him as Savior, I invite you to accept him now by simple faith, believing that he died on that cross for you and was buried and rose again from the dead. And you know today that there is only one way and only Jesus can save you from your sin and forgive you. And you admit you're that sinner and you want him to save you.
Would you accept him by faith right now? Would you pray a simple prayer like this with me? Quietly in your heart, right where you sit. Through this prayer, you're telling the Lord Jesus that you are trusting in him and giving your heart to him. Pray quietly in your heart with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me. You took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. And wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead. Lord Jesus. With head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you are now a child of God. You have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of Christ has come into your heart. You have been forgiven all your sin. You are now robed in the righteousness of Christ. You are forever his. Welcome to the family of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for any decisions that have been made. Lord, for the believers, Lord, who may have made a decision, Lord, to abide in Christ and in your word. And then, Father, for those who may have trusted Jesus as their Savior today, I pray you'd give them the assurance that they have been sealed by the Holy Spirit into your family and no one can pluck them out of your hand. May they leave here with great joy and peace, knowing that their sins have been forgiven them. Thank you for speaking through your powerful word. And may we leave here abiding in it. We ask in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Amen.